You're listening to Culture Rich. Culture Rich. Welcome, I'm Christina Michelle, inviting you to join me for Culture Rich Conversations, an ongoing feature of Juno Afternoon. Thousands of Americans went to the polls this week to cast their gubernatorial, mayoral, and state legislative votes. However, voting has not been an easy road to travel for the Black community. Today, my guests, Councilwoman Zoraya Hightower and Dr. Adrian Jones, will join me in a conversation about Black culture and American politics. From KTOO in Juneau, this is Culture Rich Conversations. Culture Rich Conversations is underwritten by Mark Stofa and Sarah Hannon, celebrating Juno's diversity of culture, language, and heritage. The Black Awareness Association would like to take a moment to recognize that Culture Rich Conversations is broadcast from Flinket Ani. We acknowledge those families who made use of this land and waterways for thousands of years and still cherish it as an important part of their way of life. For today and future generations. Thank you. Welcome to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle. Counselor Hightower and Dr. Jones, thank you both so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. We're heading into another election year where Americans will exercise our right to vote. However, elections can cause anxiety and even dread for people in the Black community. It seems every year the need for people of color to participate in the electoral process becomes more apparent. Now, I don't want to lose the people who think that politics just isn't their thing because this episode is for you too. Whether you care about politics or not, who gets voted into office locally and nationally affects all of us. Before we get into it, let's hear a bit from our guests. Uh, Councillor Hightower, I'll begin with you. Can you please share where you're joining us from and what work you do there? Hi, Christina. I'm joining from Burlington, Vermont, where I work remotely for Nature for Justice, a nonprofit, and also where I sit on the Burlington City Council, which is Vermont's queen city. And I won that seat um, as the first woman of color in 2020 on the Burlington City Council. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And Dr. Jones, can you share the same where you're joining us from and the work that you do? Good evening, everyone. Um, Yes, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I teach political science at Morehouse College in the Atlanta University Center. So um, I spend my time teaching political science. I also direct the pre-law department. So I provide resources and encouragement for students to matriculate to law school. And, um, you know, generally I do work around voting because, you know, having the luxury to be a college professor and study something specific, which I study voting, voter suppression right now, really exclusively. Um, And so, you know, I have information that is helpful to share with people. And uh, so I try to do that. 
Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. And for those who are listening, uh, we talked about HBCUs in a previous episode, and Morehouse is one of them. And HBCU stands for Historically Black College and University. So that's where Dr. Jones is um, joining us from, or the uh, where Dr. Jones has received her education. Okay, so let's get into this conversation. And Counselor Hightower, I'll start with you. Can you share why it was so important to you to get involved in politics? Yeah, it wasn't a given. I did not grow up um, paying attention to politics or even thinking about voting. Um, I remember when I was very young, I asked my dad who he voted for for president, and he told me that that was not something you asked people or something you talked about. So I've come a long way <laughs> since then. Um, and I definitely think I've always had this like fairness-mindedness in the back of my brain, and especially when I went to graduate school. Um, I'm from Oklahoma, but then I went to grad, which is where I did my undergrad, and then I went to grad school at Yale, um, where I'm gonna say black people are a little bit underrepresented. People mm. of um, low socioeconomic status are definitely underrepresented. And I went expecting to be like, feel to feel like an imposter and to have imposter syndrome. And I was really surprised when I got there that I often found myself still being one of the smartest people in the room, still making some of the best grades. And so I think I learned a lot in, in my time at graduate school about um, who gets to go, have the elite experiences. It's like, I was just as smart as anybody else in the room, but I was also the only person who looked like me. Um, and so I didn't just have to work hard. I had to have like a good bit of luck to make it into those spaces. And that <laughs> makes me um, want to make sure that other people don't have to be quite as lucky to get into the space. And um, for better or worse, politics is one way to make sure that that's, that that is the case. And so at some point I went to Detroit for the People's Congress and it was amazing. And I was like, oh my gosh, not only do we um, have an agenda, but it's a united agenda and actually something we can get behind. And that got me excited about working, working for change, not just in the way that I had been with like marches, but also through politics. Excellent. Thank you so much. And Dr. Jones, can you share the same? What led you into the work that you do? I got into the work that I do because I ended up teaching political science. Um, I had a circuitous time through my 20s and <clears throat> went to law school and um, worked as a staff attorney for the Ninth Circuit. And at some point I decided that it was time for me to try and become a filmmaker. Um, you know, I got interested in the history and politic of black people in college. Um, and I was surprised by how few black people were there. Now, I went to Brown University and there were lots of black people and someone listening might have just been to the black reunion, which I know was fabulous. Um, however, I expected there to be more and um, I expected there to be more at my peer institutions. And I realized that my parents had come through the civil rights movement and been in a position to start school when the opportunity became available. And so I figured by the time I got to school, 
you know, it should be just a normal kind of a thing. Um, so I eventually tried to go to film school, which I did not actually end up getting accepted and going to, but I started working in film and eventually needed a real job <laughs> and started teaching political science, <clears throat> which as a law school graduate was a really good fit. And it was a fit that people had described did not exist for me. They said, you wanna be a filmmaker? You wanna be a lawyer? These things don't go together. Yes, they do. It's called political science, <laughs> um, particularly where the film that I was interested in was film about black people developing in the United States. And so when it became time for me to pick a topic for my dissertation, um, with the good counsel from a close colleague, I picked the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and at a perfect historical moment. And then um, that really helped promulgate me into like the regular political listening. I mean, obviously I could teach a class, but I can relate to people saying, you know, I don't really follow politics. But when you find a way in, um, I think you start because I found the Voting Rights Act and then I, because I needed to study the topic, it put me in side. I love that. I I really appreciate from both of you that this wasn't something that you thought that you would always go into. Uh, because I think a lot of people, when they think about politics, they imagine, you know, that it has to be something that you always have had a burning passion for. And I think that it's really awesome that neither one of you necessarily had that, but you found a way into it. And so thank you so much for sharing. Um, I heard before we got started, um, you guys were talking with our producer, Natasha, and she was saying how hard it is to find Black people to talk about politics. Um, would you agree with that? And if so, why do you think that is? Uh, Dr. Jones, I'll, I'll let you answer. <laughs> That's really interesting. You know, I hadn't really thought about that, but it might be because all I do is sit around and think about some aspect of politics and of course attempt to force my students to and so in my world um black people are talking about politics um but i can see where the information seems inaccessible mm. the partisan the partisanship especially now is extremely polarized for black people it really doesn't look very appealing on either side um we're living in this country where things are difficult and continue to be. Um, and we're not necessarily <clears throat> treated well on a more subtle level, which makes you think, I think that voting is sort of a waste of time. And I, <clears throat> I relate to that, right? I study voting, I see how black people are in the world. And so I regularly come to that conclusion too, like what's the point? Um, you know, is this really going to matter? But I guess I have to err on the side of having informed criticisms, but at the same time attempting to use the tools that exist in order to further things for Black people in the United States. And I think we need to be going at that from a multifaceted approach, but um, voting, I think, is important, even if Ultimately, the only benefit for us is that we become civic minded so that we're doing the other things that we need to do if and when the voting does not work. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Jones. Uh, Counselor, did you want to add anything to that? Um, sure. Well, I guess I would say that it is, I think we've been told that our vote doesn't matter. And I think that's um, for two reasons. One is that sometimes it doesn't, and there's been a lot of systems put in place to make sure sometimes that it doesn't. Um, and then also telling people that their vote doesn't matter keeps them from voting, which mm -hmm. is like letting um, letting those systems win. And so I think that, you know, not just through voting, but also, you know, to Dr. Jones's point of just being civic minded, there's definitely moments in time where the black community has had tremendous power and has been in that power and has made real change for themselves. And I think that starts with being really active voters and knowing what it is that we care about and what the issues are. And I also think that sometimes, you know, when we talk about big P politics that feel so divisive, we think about certain issues, but politics is everything. The black community talks about politics all of the time. We just don't talk about the same politics the news are talking about. That doesn't mean it's not politics or that it's not affected by what we're doing locally or at the state level or at the national level. So I think sometimes we're just disenfranchised, for lack of a better word, from what's going on in the main conversation. But um, yeah, but I think I think we care about politics in, in a really big way um, and should care about in a really big way because it affects us probably more than it does anybody else. Thank you so much. Dr. Jones, did you want to add to that? I just want to say that um, one of the things I was considering uh, before I came on was this idea that, you know, you don't think your vote matters because everyone's voting. But in the United States, everyone does not vote. Okay, so in the last two cycles, we've had some serious, um, we've shown out. Okay, so the numbers have been high, but high numbers are like 70% of the voting age people or 70% of the vote, the registered voters, right? So that's not everybody. So there's room for expansion, okay? And then these races can be incredibly close, okay? So I just wrote down like Biden won Pennsylvania by 1.2 percentage points, Ooh. Wisconsin by six tenths of a percentage point, Arizona by one third of a percent. I got this from Pew Research, Georgia by one quarter of a percent. Okay. So I'm saying there are races out here, especially on the local level too. We just did local elections the other day in the school board. So few people are trickling out in a, the CRT environment, <laughs> um, you know, where people are not informed. Um, I'm on the soapbox, but the bottom <laughs> line here is that in a lot of instances, your vote, in fact, has leverage. So I need you to get out there, even if it's just for the field trip, to do this. Um, and Black people, in particular, make up the lion's share of the Democratic base. Okay? So we are in 2024 in a situation, if the election for president looks like we expect it to, we need this vote share to be clear. Clear, right? We don't need fake electors going to Washington, D.C. We don't need an insurrection. We don't need that kind of disruption. It is so <laughs> tenuous right now. And I'm just telling you, as young voters, listen, you are the cash money treasury in this situation. 
And if we can motivate you, if someone can motivate you to understand the power of the youth vote and you organize yourself and your friends, you get to make the selection about who the leadership is in the United States. Absolutely. Well said, Dr. Jones. Uh, this is Christina Michelle, and I am here with Counselor Hightower and Dr. Jones, and we're having a conversation about Black culture and American politics. So, Counselor Hightower, um, can you tell us what changes you uh, endeavor to make in your community in the position that you have? Um, there's a lot of changes. I work a lot on housing, um, for example, trying to pass just cause eviction so that you can't get evicted from your home for no cause, which in a place like Vermont that is terribly expensive is um, a big deal. Um, I also work on community safety and public safety um, and trying to reform our criminal justice system, particularly through the police department, which is what a municipal elected official would have um, authority over, and then as well as en environmental um, environmental things. So access to environment, access to public transportation, access to um, clean water. Those are my three big, three big issues. Thank you so much. And Dr. Jones, can you share with us about um, what you hope to achieve when teaching your students? <clears throat> oh, um, I think that my <laughs> whole point is to teach citizenship, you know, like I'm talking about tonight, right? So you may be a political science major, and of course I need to serve American government <clears throat> or constitutional law for your major requirements. Um, but a lot of the students are not political science majors. I think it's my job to feed um, civic participation, right? Ultimately, I want you to leave my classroom and end up working in your church, in your neighborhood, in your family, at home, right? I need you to know how to um, take in information and be analytical about it because especially today, journalism is under threat. And so you need to be paying attention to where your information is coming from and um, you need to be able to make supported arguments and be aware of what the other sides are saying. Um, and you need some of this background in the United States as a Black person to understand uh, where we are now in comparison to where we were. <clears throat> I mean, we are, we're in a phase right now that people keep calling Jim Crow 2.0, and that is accurate in that they're doing a lot of work to pass laws to make it very difficult for Black people to vote. Now, these generally look like neutral laws they did during Jim Crow, but they disproportionately impact Black people, right? And this is what your state's rights system was doing at that point. And if you notice, a lot of the agenda now is to return power to the states, right? And to pass laws that are designed to make it difficult in particular, and you know, I'm talking about voting, in particular in the voting, right? Or abortion or um, CRT, right? They don't wanna teach you your history. So I just have to say that, you know, they're doing a lot of work to prevent you from participating. You gotta know that that reflects how important it is. Um, because when you participate, it causes them a problem. I mean, this is a serious, 
potentially system changing popular initiative, um, you know, a conservative movement that we're seeing. And it's been a heavy lift mm. that is um, designed to make sure that you stay at home feeling apathetic and like you don't matter and your vote doesn't matter. Do you have an example of some of the um, laws that they're passing that would make it difficult for Black voters? Yes. So um, number one, if you're looking at the 2021 districting, if you notice, there are a number of cases at the Supreme Court level in particular right now uh, where what has in Alabama, in Georgia, North Carolina, um, and other states where um, they are districting Black people so that they do not have the ability to have a really strong impact on what happens in elections. And critical to elections or the other side of that is people being elected for office, right? So there's there's two, that's voting is actually two things. It's electing Black people and it's voting. Um, and in my state, Georgia, they passed an entire slate uh, called SB 202. And it um, shortens voting hours. It mm. uh, changes the early voting. It restricts absentee voting. You can get one, you know, it uh, decreased the drop boxes from 2020 when they were expanded, you know, to a very small number that are only accessible inside during off hours, during open hours, I'm sorry. It also made changes to the state control over the electoral system, right? So they can check your precinct, or your county election board under certain circumstances. They control the state board as opposed to the secretary of state. Um, it makes me argue, think these changes make me think that, you know, we saw fake electors go to the DC, maybe under SB 202, that's no longer legal, right? So in 2024, when they decide to do that, we've got this new slate of laws that could certainly be interpreted um, based upon some of these provisions that literally prevents you your vote from being registered in real time. This is why I'm saying the heavy turnout is simply gonna be key because it needs to be a divisive, clear, not half a close, close, Raffenberger is <laughs> counting over three times because the president called and asked for 11,000 votes, right? Instead, it's a clear, um, popular and a clear electoral college separation between the two candidates. Thank you so much for clarifying, uh, Dr. Jones. And can you, have you ever thought about running for office yourself? Oh, no. <laughs> that will not be happening. Okay. All right. Well, we appreciate the work that you are doing and the capacity that you are doing it in. Um, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come, or come back, we'll continue our conversation. This is Christina Michelle, and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle, and I am here having a conversation about the Black community and American uh, politics. And I'm joined by Counselor Hightower and Dr. Jones, and we have been having a really good conversation. Um, We are going to continue. Dr. Jones, I would, um, before we went to before we went to break, I was asking if you had ever considered going into politics yourself, like running for office, and you said no. <laughs> she's she's giving us a thumbs down on Zoom here. But um, I can see that you're very passionate about the work that you do, and, and I envy your students. I wish that I had somebody like you um, when I was in college who would inspire me the way that I'm sure you inspire your students. They might beg to differ. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Counselor Hightower, I'm going to ask you about um, how you would encourage a person who feels disenfranchised and believes that their vote doesn't count. You mentioned that earlier before we went to break, um, that a lot of people do feel that way. Um, So what, what advice or encouragement would you give those people? Well, I think sometimes when people think about their vote not mattering, they're only thinking about presidential races. And there are so many more races that affect and touch their lives. And I don't know that there is many places where, you know, like there's such a white swing that your vote truly doesn't matter. Um, And there's definitely even fewer places where your voice doesn't matter. So where you getting out and being an activist and pushing other voices and other voters to vote. And then especially in local elections, your your vote and your voice matters even more because, you know, when we've got great turnout for some presidential elections, you know, that might be 70% of registered voters. Local, it can be 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%, which means that every person that comes out um, really matters. And I will say that, um, especially in local elections, the people who vote at every local election, every national election, they always vote and they're always voting for the same people. So if we get if we get new people out, that means we're getting new voices into into the um, into the mix. And the other thing around that is, not to you know stack out even more homework for our listeners, but um, <laughs> not only can you your vote matter in the actual election, but if you start talking about local primaries, nobody comes to local primaries. So if you want to be one of hundreds of people deciding who's going to be the next candidate on something, you know, I think, and we see this at the like it doesn't matter if you're looking at national, state, or local. You know, at the national level, it's you know like the Bushes and the Clintons. It's the same people over and over again it's the same families the same things true at the state level the same things true at the local level and so saying hey we're not actually going to do this anymore we're going to bring a couple hundred of our friends and we're going to vote in our person you can do that at the you can do that at the caucus level at the primary level so yeah if your voice if you feel like your vote doesn't matter for one race i would encourage you to look at some other races because there are plenty plenty of decisions that are being made um all across the spectrum. Thank you so much. Um, Can we talk a little bit about some of the myths surrounding politics and the Black community? So we already know that one of them is that our vote doesn't 
count or it doesn't matter. Um, what are some of the other myths that you have heard? Uh, Dr. Jones, I'll start with you. I guess I might say um, that we can't have any impact on the system, that it just is. I hear my students say, you know, it just is how it is and it's always been this way. And um, I'll just tell you that it hasn't always been this way. Um, the severe polarization that we're living in right now is very new. Um, and number two, you can have an impact if you decide you're gonna participate. I had um, a state house representative come into the class last week. Uh, the GOP dominates our state legislature and uh, Representative Hutchinson was saying that they need seven additional Democrats in the House in order to be able to have leverage. And she was encouraging my students to think about running for those seats, right? She was like, you need to be 18. Um, of course, you need to look at your state or your local rules for whatever races you're considering entering. Um, but this point that you can decide who the candidates are, who's going to be included in the candidate pool is real. And, you know, I know that I'm begging off, but if running for office is something that you are interested in, it is something that is possible. The council is on here. <laughs> I mean, some of it is um, deciding that it's something that you are gonna do or that you're gonna support for your friend or for your neighbor. Thank you, Dr. Jones. And Councillor Hightower, what are some of the myths that you have heard around uh, the Black community and politics? Yeah, I'm going to talk to the same, speak to the same one that Dr. Jones just did first, which is um, not just that our vote doesn't matter, but that our voice doesn't matter. Um, I have seen in so many places where, you know, some of my fellow counselors or even at the state level or at the governor level where people are like, no, this is how I'm voting. You cannot change my mind. And then enough people showed up and were like, wait, we are, this is not, this is absolutely not okay. And people do change their mind. And so it's not just about getting people out of office. It's also about being like, this actually isn't okay. A great example of this was in Burlington. Um, there was a black woman who was supposed to oversee the contract to review the police department and the mayor removed her because he was like, you can't be objective on this because you're a black woman. Um, and she and I were kind of like, I guess there's nothing we can do about it. And then the decision was quietly announced <laughs> and there was such outrage that it was like, oh, this isn't happening. This isn't okay. What does that mean? Like, why is this white man who runs the electric department <laughs> more objective on this? And so, um, and it, and that changed and it was reversed and she oversaw that contract. And I think it was important that she did. And so I think that, I think with ourselves, like individually, we too often are like, oh, this is just the way that it is when it really isn't the way that it is. Um, and people, well, people cave under pressure, like in ways that are actually positive. Um, the other thing that I think is um, a myth is that we are a monolith um, and that we vote as a monolith. Um, and that, you know, <laughs> sometimes like it's like people are like, oh, their vote doesn't matter because I'll never get it or the their vote doesn't matter because I already know that I have it. And that's just not the way that the um, the Black vote works, um, whether that's, again, national or local. Um, and so 
yeah, making candidates work for our vote, I think is a real thing we have to do. So how do you think we can help the next generation uh, continue the legacy of black voters? And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm go ahead, Counselor. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, for the longest time, um, didn't really have, a, you know, like as a youth, you're like, this is just the way it is. Um, but I actually think one of the things that we should do for the next generation is let them vote earlier. Um, there's a lot of things that we don't, um, there's a lot of things that we let, you know, it's like we have, you know, 16 year old black men being tried as adults for, you know, crimes that are accidental crimes That's that are right. situational. And yet they're can't even vote on the criminal justice system that is persecuting them as an adult. So I, and I also just think from a, from a, more than anything from a voter participation standpoint, it's like, you know, the last time we have a group of people together all doing the same thing is kind of in high school. So I really wish that we taught in high school, this is this is why this is important. This is how you research candidates. This is some of the thinking that you do. Like, these are some of the considerations that you have. This is how you learn about the caucus process. Here's some of the issues that are in your community. Like we, you shouldn't try to have to figure that out while you're also trying to figure out how to pay rent and everything else. Um, so I wish we, I wish we got folks into voting a little bit earlier. And then I'll say one more thing, which is just like how to even like take that, like voting is the first step, but then I think there's two steps beyond that. And if you're someone who kind of likes to color in the lines and has clear processes and goals, then I think the minute you turn 18, join a board or commission, like every town, county has boards and commissions that you can join that makes it really clear. Like you can even start voting. Like you can be what you're not elected, but you're appointed. And it's very similar. And you actually get to decide some of the big processes and then if you're someone who likes to color outside of the lines a little bit more, um, get involved in an issue you care about. Like, don't, again, it's not big P politics, it's small P politics. Like, do you care about evictions? Do you care about toxins? Do you care about your local bus system? Like, what is it that you're like, this should not be this way? And I guarantee you there's other people in the community that, that feel that way and probably already have an organization or a community group and you can join them and get get be part of that voices that says no this isn't okay and you're not going to vote this through like you always do you're actually going to change change it this year thank you counselor hightower and dr jones i guess i would encourage people to think about how you know i feel like especially as a young person you kind of want to press the lines or um you know, not necessarily follow the rules. So hear me when I say that they're sort of trying to keep something from you, right? Like um, I was thinking about when Counselor Hightower was talking about, you know, knowing the different offices, right? It's like, it's almost like, you know, no one's told you what public commissioner means or what the coroner does um, or what a lieutenant governor stands for, because they don't want you to know so that you don't have any facility with regard to having what you need in your community. So it's kind of like, you know, maybe be motivated by the fact that, you know, when you show up clear about what the different offices are, who's charging you for electricity and media, 
who's, you know, what roles do the coroner play? Um, you have insights and you're ready to put pressure there to get people to do what you as a young person who thinks that, you know, things are outdated today. This is one of the ways that you can make a change. Um, and as Black people, you know, you got to recognize that the felony disenfranchisement with the incarceration, they go together, right? So part of the reason why uh, the prison industrial system is booming with Black people is in order to tamp down the ability of people to have um, political control. So, like, think about it in all these subtle ways that they're trying to keep you from things that you should be able to have an impact on. And so, you know, maybe be motivated by that and pick the thing that you're passionate about and get involved. Those are such good ideas, and it's giving me ideas for things that we can do here in Juneau. Um, the Black Awareness Association is always looking for ways to educate our community, and I think that it would be a great idea for us to maybe do some workshops for our youth around um, you know, how to get involved in politics and um, how, how things work and asking them what they're passionate about, what they would like to see uh, different, and then helping them to get involved. So thank you for that idea. So can we talk a little bit about what progress looks like? So we we're talking about wanting to make changes and um, wanting to encourage people to uh, people of color uh, to be more involved in politics. Um, what does what? How do we know that we're making progress? I'll say that. And uh, Councillor Hightower, I'll let you answer first. Yeah, um, it's a good question. How do you know if we're making progress? Well, I think um, I think that they're like when you have really low voter turnout. Two, one of two things can be true, which is either that everything is so great that no one feels like they have to change anything or um, that everything is so bad that no one really even has the capacity or time or interest in using politics as an avenue for change. And given that, you know, the people who tend to vote every time tend to be upper class white liberals <laughs> or at least like upper class and white is like you know like homeowners is like as a minimum um it doesn't feel doesn't feel like we're in the first paradigm so um i i definitely feel like when things are going well i think there's accountability i think that there's people are aware of what's going on and, you know, it's hard to hold the president accountable because, you know, most of us don't even really know what <laughs> that person actually gets to decide versus not. Um, I'm sure Dr. Jones does, but um, the rest of us just have a vague ha understanding of what's happening um, at the national level and who's deciding what. But at the um, but at the state level, at the local level, I think people are like, no, I actually know what you're voting on today and I actually have a best I know that I have a vested interest in what you're going to vote on and you're going to hear from me you're going to hear from me before the vote and you're going to hear from me after the vote if I don't like it and so that can't be an individual that can never be an individual and it's never 
you know, successfully been an individual. And so I feel like there is success when we have community groups and it's really hard to not go back to the, um, not look back at the sixties, not that that's a time that we want to return to, but that was a time where, you know, we had a pendulum swing in American politics in terms of like how much power, um, especially the black community had. And that wasn't like that time wasn't fundamentally different than it is now, except that we were really tight knit community that really understood what we wanted as a community. And it was all happening at a local level, right? The fights were about city ordinances. It was about state laws, um, but it was the same fight in every state. And it was the same fight in every city. So I think once we understand you know, like when we were trying to pass through just cause eviction in Burlington, the amount of, there was so much money spent by the Realtors Association and by the Landlords Association that said, this is this weird thing that Burlington is trying to do. There are like, there are like, there's hundreds of thousands, there's millions of Americans living under just cause eviction law in the United States. There's a reason that other communities and other states have passed that you can't evict someone for no reason, because then you can't, how hard is it to prove that somebody's retaliating for you asking them to fix the heat when they can evict you, when they don't have to have a real reason for evicting you? And so I think, look, when we know as a country what the fights are that we're fighting, which I do think is a little bit more true post-2020 than it is after, like, what are we up against? Why do we want this change? What does it mean? Um, then I think it makes it a little easier to fight for it at the in the you know kind of courts that matter, which is like a lot of the cities, a lot of the state um, things. So I think having that sense of community and making sure that we know what we're fighting for and what the vision of the future is that we want is progress. Thank you, Councillor Hightower. And Dr. Jones, the same question to you. What does progress look like within the Black community? Um, I mean, I think progress looks like access to the kinds of resources that a person needs or families, people in the community, um, space in your community to you know how we think, I think in the United States about people along a hierarchy, right? Some people are deserving. And then for other people, maybe not so much, right? And I feel like progress looks like when people feel empowered within themselves, um, kind of like we're talking about this evening, perhaps that happens to you through electoral participation. But as I was saying about citizenship, sometimes that's at church or on your block, or at your job, or in some community that you're a part of, right, where you entitle yourself to speak into and have expectation and push for the things that you actually need. I mean, that's what we're talking about here, I think, in a political level. Um, and so I... I think it looks like more and more people feeling less apathetic, which I know is difficult in the thick of it. But as someone said to me, you know, people, the United States, it seems like it's coming apart. And people say, you know, it's time to move away from here. And someone will 
deftly mentioned, you know, now is the time to stay and do the work. So I feel like um, people sort of waking up to that is, is progress and not feeling like, oh, there's not a lot they can do. So they're just going to not do anything. You know, it's not the 60s. There's nothing they can do. There's um, in, improved hope that things could improve for you and your family and others, I think is progress. Excellent. Well said, Dr. Jones and Counselor Hightower. Thank you so much. If you're just joining us, I'm Christina Michelle, and we are here having a conversation about the Black community and politics. We are going to take a quick break and we'll come back and uh, continue and close out this conversation. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Christina Michelle. This is Culture Rich Conversations, and I am here with Counselor Hightower and Dr. Jones having a conversation about the Black community and politics in America. So, Dr. Jones, um, I would love for you to share what you think um, a person who wants to run for office should uh, let me rephrase this what type of person should run for office if they want to get involved in politics and then um counselor hightower i'll ask you the same um i think probably any type of person um from observing and from listening to people um you know you might want to be interested in running for office right there's a campaign period uh which probably starts before the actual campaigning, right? So you got to be willing um, or be able to motivate yourself throughout campaign process, perhaps several times, right? Sometimes you don't win the first time, but that your name is out there. Um, what your platform is, is out there, right? Um, familiarity breeds success, right? Practice eventually ends up in um, you being able to do something, even if you're complaining the entire time that you don't know what you're doing. Um, and then 
you know, you also have to have the willingness to be in office and do what you can with the term, right? And understand whatever tools you're going to attempt to use in order to, you know, improve the quality of housing in the area or, you know, get the just cause eviction law passed or make sure that internet is in the black community um, to the same degree that it is across town. Um, you know, I think that that could be any per different type of person because perhaps various people have various interests that they're willing to press. Um, but I think you do have to be prepared to try to put some money together and, you know, get on buses, trains, and planes, <laughs> talk to people, um, you know, deal with the politic of politic. You know, it's not going to be easy. So you got to decide how you, you know, how are you going to compromise and how are you going to be diplomatic? <laughs> and, you know, try to make things, how are you going to be persistent? Um, I think this is the kind of thing you might want to think about more than, you know, I need to be an extrovert and a particular brand of person. I don't think so. I think if you have the passion, um, you can get out there and make something happen. Thank you so much. And I think that that's another, maybe that's another myth um, around politics um, is that it's people, if they want to get involved, they might feel like they can't afford to get involved. Um, they can't afford to run. They can't afford a campaign. Uh, so I I think that that's important for us to, uh, to dispel that. And I love the diplomatic, persistent, and passionate, like those things stick out to me about the type of person. Um, that should be running and we shouldn't be worried about the other things. Um, Councillor Hightower, uh, same question to you. What type of person should run for office? Yeah, I have some big thoughts on this based on who's currently in office more so than anything else, um, which I think we have a lot of people who are extremely ego egotistical in office. Mm. So I would actually really love for more people to run who don't have an oversized ego and to um, come to this with humility and are say, I don't have all the answers. I don't, maybe I like people can point out something to me and I can rethink where I've been. Um, so I think definitely a different cast of characters, folks who, and I think to some extent it's hard because we've also created a political system where, you know, like with the, the running and the splashy campaign flyers and everything, it's hard to, it's hard to do that in an authentic way, but I would definitely say folks who can leave their ego at the door and listen to all voices. And then I also feel like I've been hearing a lot that, you know, people are bringing ideology or values too much into it. And I actually think, despite the first, you know, thing that I said, I actually think it's really important to come in with a really clear sense of your values. And that doesn't mean that that determines your votes um, but I think knowing why you're gonna like you know when you're faced with a decision like what values are going to guide you in making that decision and not letting that change under what can be really big pressure not that your votes can change but making sure that your values that whatever your vote is it's true to your values um, and then someone who can read a lot you're gonna have to read a lot <laughs> you're gonna have to read a lot of things very very quickly so uh, if you do not like reading things, <laughs> um, you're probably going to hate political office. Okay, good heads up. <laughs> Thank you so much, Counselor Hightower. 
So as we close out uh, this show, is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that is important to you that you're super passionate about and you want to make sure that you say? I guess I'll start. Um, I think that we, I think that we need to learn our own history um, to understand what's possible. And I think, you know, um, that's just something that I continue to learn is um, that we continue to cede our power because we believe that we don't have any. And there's been many times in American history where um, the Black experience could have turned out really different. And then there was a lot of pushback. And I think that's a moment that we're in right now where we get to determine what the Black experience will be for the decades to come. And if we give into the pushback, um, it's going to be really different. So um, I just encourage folks to know that we have a lot of power. And if we pick up that power and use it, we get to determine a much better quality of life and much better black experience so I hope we I hope as a collective with our allies we do that excellent thank you so much counselor Hightower and Dr. Jones I mean I think my instinct is in the same place that I feel like you need to understand your history um counselor Hightower said it very nicely when she said you know we had a pendulum shift in the 1960s and I think that we're having one now, right? An, an opposing one. Um, you know, this conservatism that we're seeing right now has been developing since 1965, right? We want the court system to work for us, like it has been working for Black people during the civil rights movement, right? So they build and they build and they build and they build and they build. And now here we are looking at a conservative majority Supreme Court, for example. That seems very tough, right? It's a very polarized environment. The former president has really raised our racial populism sensation. The conflict, especially in Israel, <clears throat> Palestine, you know, is telling, I think, and reflective. People <clears throat> understand the history of Black America, understand the history um, of the Holocaust and so forth, um, of this hierarchy treatment that I'm talking about. And so at the same time that this is terrifying and very problematic, it means that there's room for you to be an activist that makes a difference in the world, right? I teach at Morehouse College. Our most famous graduate is Martin Luther King Jr., right? Who marshaled his abilities and took a leadership position in improving civil rights in the United States. And there is room for you to do that. And that did not happen by Dr. King himself alone, right? This involved an army of various and sundry in all the places Black people in support of living healthily and effectively in the United States. And that may look different today in the world of social media in 2023, um, but it may have some similar aspects. And I just want individual people to understand that like, if you have a fire there that is saying, let me take some action, like this is the kind of environment in which there's traction for you to do that. 
And, you know, so that's what we need you to do. <laughs> you know, decide that you are going to go ahead and wing it and try to see, I mean, the worst case scenario, you don't see exactly the results that you thought. Mm. And in fact, even just the chip you made may be a chip towards the ultimate long game. Well said. Once again, Dr. Jones, thank you so much. And we are coming up on the end of our show. I want to thank you both again so much for being here with us today and for having this very important conversation. I know that I got a lot out of it and I trust that our listeners did as well. Um, I want to remind our listeners about our banned book by Black authors um, really quick before we close out. Um, the book that we're reading is Monday's Not Coming, written by Tiffany D. Jackson. You can read along with us in preparation for our next banned books by Black authors episode coming up in a few weeks. Um, the other thing I wanted to share is Today in Black History, and then we'll close out. Today in Black History, we celebrate the life of Dorothy Dandridge, who was born on November 9th in 1922 in Cleveland, Ohio. She was the first African-American to be nominated for Best Actress at the Academy Awards. Dandridge was an extremely talented actress and singer who opened the door that led the way for many Black actors and actresses to follow. Though she had great success early on, towards the end of her life, she struggled to find her footing personally and professionally before she passed away in 1965. In spite of the difficulties she faced, her legacy continues to have a huge impact in the Black community, especially with Black actors and actresses. Okay, Representative um, Hightower and Dr. Jones, thank you again for joining us. And is there any way that you would like to share for our listeners to connect with you if they'd like to? You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, you can always email me at uh, Morehouse College if you'd like to talk to me. Um, my email is adrian.jones. And Adrian is spelled A D. R-I-E-N-N-E dot Jones at Morehouse College. I'm in political science. If you're looking for me on the website, there are only two women there. Um, and only, <laughs> and I'm the black one. Okay. The black one. So uh, you can okay. find me. Thank you so much. And uh, Counselor Hightower, we will get your information and we'll post it on uh, on our website because um, we are over time. I apologize for that. Today's show was produced by Natasha Boozer. And until next week, may your life be blessed and flow with ease. This has been Culture Rich Conversations.